1: God's idea of marriage. That is the subject of our time today here on Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. We're in Genesis chapter 1 and 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Join us. Abounding Grace is up next. Contrary to popular belief, marriage does not change with the culture. You see, God set up marriage prior to any culture being established. So it transcends any cultural norms that we see changing throughout each generation. That is why it's always important to start a series on marriage in Genesis chapter 1. Please join us. This is Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. We'll also find ourselves in 1 Corinthians 11, so plan on visiting that passage as well. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner now with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace.
2: Men I ask you to sit down with your wife and reevaluate your marriage and ask, what are we doing? There's a second purpose for marriage, and that is companionship. I often thank God that I married my best friend. Mind, do you ever say that about your wife? Well, I can say it's true about me. As Adam named the animals, and as he watched them pair off, it didn't take him long to realize he was all alone. He felt his unfulfilled need for companionship. And so God filled his need with Eve. In Genesis 2.18 it says, Then the Lord said, It's not good for a man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable to him. And you know, in Psalm 68.6 it says, God makes a home for the lonely. So God gave Eve to Adam for companionship. Now, companionship implies several things. It implies, first of all, mutual affection. It means if you have a companion that you're married to, then you're going to share affection. God created human beings with a need, the desire and the ability to show and receive affection. Now, in case through the years you have forgotten what affection is, let me give you its definition. Affection is a fond or tender feeling toward another person. Being affectionate is having and showing fond, loving feelings toward another person. And one of the means of to affect is to display a preference for your wife or your husband? What are some of the words that come to your mind when you think of affection? How about tenderness, sweetness, friendliness, touching, hugging, kissing, smiling? Let me give you one word of advice that several of you newlyweds in here probably will remember, because I tell this to all the couples I give premarital counseling to. Whenever you are in the same room with your spouse, Even for just a few minutes, don't leave that room until you have touched a sign of affection. As one person has said, commit random acts of affection and tenderness toward your spouse. Now, how do you show affection to your wife, men? I don't mean just kiss her and be sweet, so you can go further sometime in the evening. I'm not talking about that. And you know what? That's not affection. That's manipulation. Here are some ways you can show affection to your wife. And I'm taking these right out of Stuart Scott's book. First of all, prefer her over yourself. Show interest in her interest. Encourage her with words of appreciation. On a regular basis. Always thank her for the meals she fixes for you. Lavish her with words of appreciation. You know, kind words go a long way in letting your wife know how much you appreciate her. Brighten her day with an unexpected card or flowers when you're not even guilty of anything. Just do it for no good reason, except to let her know how much you care about her. Spend time with her having fun, doing what she enjoys. Spend time listening with interest to her concerns and not while you're sitting over a newspaper. You know, she tells you the concerns of her heart and you say, yes, dear, that's terrible. Did you hear Spend time listening to her concerns while showing compassion, giving her encouragement from God's word, and helping her find a solution to whatever problem she may be bringing to you. And do it in that order. Help her when it looks like she needs help, and don't wait for her to have to ask. Do chivalrous things to let her know how special she is to you. In your own house. Open the door for her. In your own house, let her enter first, if at all possible. Pull out her chair. Do chivalrous things to let her know she is the most special thing in your life. Show her non-sexual affection. Seek to please and satisfy her during sexual intimacy. Pray with her and lead her spiritually. Make sure she is using her spiritual gifts in the church. Beloved, all these are various ways you can show affection to your wife. And if you both are truly companions to one another, then you are going to enjoy a mutual confidence in each other. One has said to destroy confidence is to remove the foundations of all that is excellent or valuable to the family circle." This includes letting your wife or husband know you have confidence in him or her. Don't ever criticize each other. Do not let your wife feel that she has failed you, or you wives to let your husband think that he's failed you. Think about each other's strengths and the ways in which each of you is superior to the other and let your wife know how blessed you are for having such a superior woman to such an inferior man. And there's going to be mutual attention and respect. Resh says this, not the empty round of Samaritan, Ceremonial attentions that are ostentatiously crowded into the family circle on certain occasions seemingly more to please beholders than to express its genuine sentiments of the soul. We speak of that simple, artless, and unpremeditated respect and attention which genuine love inspires. You know, I think many of the problems of marriages today are the result of the failure to treat each other with respect and dignity. Now, what is the basis for showing respect and dignity for each other? Well, both of you are equally created and equally redeemed, even though the wife is functionally subordinate to you. But as human beings, you are equal before God. Both of you have been honored by God to be created in His image. Both of you have been honored by God to be joint heirs of the grace of life through the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is vitally important to treat each other in light of these things with dignity and respect. I say that in how you even dress around your wife when no one else is there. Well, you say, I can dress like a slob at least when I go home around my wife. Well, then what is that saying about your wife? How do you talk to your wife? You boss her around? What do you do in the quietness of your home when no one else is around? If you are a Christian, it's going to be done with dignity and respect toward each other. You're not going to treat her as a thing, as someone who's supposed to serve you Marriage is all about serving one another. And women, the same goes for you. You must not, you must show your husband the same dignity and respect. He is not there to just be your gopher and go to do for you constantly. Whenever there is a breakdown of dignity and respect in the family, in the way you dress, the way you speak to one another or trust one another, blood. Everything else is going to fall apart. In companionship, there is mutual respect and dignity. Now, why do I say we must mutually assist each other? It's because of what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 11 and 12. However, in the Lord, neither is a woman dependent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as the woman originates from the man, so also the man has his birth through the woman and all things originate with God. In other words, there is a structure in life and men are to be the head of the woman, but there is no independence in this. You know, a few years ago, I struggled through a couple of books on codependence and supposedly how terrible codependence is. But I'm telling you, part of marriage is to be co-dependent. If you are not co-dependent, how can you have the same skeleton and the same skin? Another purpose of marriage is procreation. Now, if you're not familiar with that old word, it means having Babies. In Genesis 1.28, it says, God blessed them, and he said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the whole earth. It was the blessing of God that enabled them to have that call to be fruitful, multiply and fill the earth. And since children are said to be time and again in the Bible gifts from the Lord, and since we are called to multiply and fill the earth with godly children, Christians' couples should try normally and wisely to have larger rather than smaller families as the Lord wills. Throughout history, Presbyterians have had large families. Why? Because of their belief in God's promises down through the generations. They don't use that old cop out that I don't want to bring children up in such an evil world. They say, I want to bring up children in God's covenant in the light of all the promises of God that he would be the God of me and my children who will love him down through thousands of generations. Now, God doesn't always see fit to Give children in a marriage. Sometimes people have to adopt children, and that also is a great blessing. We just witnessed it on Friday with the folks. Sometimes God doesn't lead us to adopt either. But no one should feel guilty that they would like to have children, but cannot because of physical reasons. It is God who opens the womb and shuts the womb. There are exceptions, But normally a Christian couple is going to try and have more children than less. The Westminster Confession of Faith says, Marriage was ordained for the mutual health of husband and a wife and the increase of mankind with the legitimate issue, that means sex within a marriage, and of the church with a holy seed." This command to procreate, to have children, is given to us to take dominion for Christ. And the God who gave us the gift and the joy of marriage gave us the gift and the joy of sex, beloved. And the reason he gave us marriage is to provide a married couple with the opportunity to satisfy their sexual drives in the enjoyment of each other as man and wife in marital sexuality. God says this in 1 Corinthians 7. He says, because of immoralities, let each man have his own wife, and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband fulfill his duty to his wife, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise also the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Stop depriving one another, but by agreement for a time that you may devote yourselves to prayer and come together again, lest Satan tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Beloved, sexual impulses are not sinful in and of themselves, for they have been implanted in us by our Creator." And since God has created within us these sexual drives, there would be an imperfection in God's creation if he had not made provision for the satisfaction of impulses in marriage. It is a sin, beloved, to deny your spouse the satisfaction of these impulses. However, the expression and the enjoyment of this, these sexual desires must not be governed by simply impulse, but by rational choice based on the Word of God. You see, deciding to marry a person is not based on blind, impetuous impulse or on the intensity of sexual attraction. That decision must be a rational, deliberate decision in the light of biblical standards that God has given us. Sexual satisfaction and sexual expression are not determined simply by impulse, but are to be regulated by that all-governing principle of all thought and all intention and all conduct, which is whatever we do, we are to do to the glory of God, and that includes our sexual relationship with our spouse. Now, what is the nature of marriage? Genesis 24 and 25. Let me read it again. For this cause, a man shall leave his father and his mother and cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife are both naked and were not ashamed. Listen again to our Westminster Confession of Faith. Marriage is to be between one man and one woman. Neither is it lawful for any man to have more than one wife nor for any woman to have more than one husband at the same time. The Westminster divines got that out of Genesis 1. What is the model? What is the normal in Genesis 1 and 2? It is one man, one wife, until the marriage is ended by death, or as we see in the New Testament, by a biblical divorce. It is a monogamous heterosexual union wherein two people vow before God to love and serve each other until death do us part. That is the very nature of marriage. You cannot cave in on it. Two people just living together to learn whether they should marry, the Bible condemns it. Homosexual marrying, the Bible condemns it. Trial marriages are condemned. Marriages that end easily in all kinds of ways are condemned. This is all contrary to Scripture, and thus contrary to the norm, and contrary to the revealed standard of God's Word. It is to be one man and one woman in marriage till death do us part. Genesis 1.27 says, And God created man in his own image, male and female, he created them. Thus, God created differences of maleness and femaleness. And that must always be taken into account. A general, a gender neutral, unisex look, fashion, or lifestyle is a perversion of God's moral and social order for the human race. One verse that is very repugnant to our world, even to the church and outside of it, is Deuteronomy 22, five, which says, A woman shall not wear man's clothing, nor shall a man put on women's clothing. For whoever does those things, listen, is an abomination unto the Lord your God. And that goes for those who promote it or even accept it. And you know, an abomination is as bad as you can get. Something that is abominable is disgusting and wicked to the greatest degree in God's sight. Homosexuality is an abomination. For a man to wear a woman's clothes or for a woman to wear a man's clothes is as abominable to God as sexual perversion. So what does that mean? Well, in Hebrew it should be interpreted as, a man should not take to himself a woman's tools. And a woman should not take to herself a man's tool or man's things or man's clothes. The point is that a woman should not take unto herself a man's vocation. She should not dress like a man, act like a man, relate to a man as a man. And the man should not take up a woman's vocation and act like a woman or be effeminate or dress like a woman. The two lifestyles must be kept distinct. Men must live and work and move like women or like men, and women must look and act and dress like women that 's why the Bible forbids women women to be in the military, for example. Did you know that that 's why the Bible forbids women to be in civil authority and church authority it 's not because they 're somehow less or inferior, but because their superiorities are. Elsewhere in the social order of God. But what does feminism do? Feminism says the whole human race is made up of individuals. A woman is just another individual, no different than the individual man, and there is no reason for treating either one differently. So the whole distinction that is created in the moral order by God falls apart. Your wife is not a man, and you know. She does not think like a man. Your husband is not a woman. And ladies, you certainly know your man does not think like a woman. That's the reason God put you together. It's only when men and women get together and both think like their gender that the whole picture comes into view. Men and women are made in the image of God. They are different in all kinds of ways so that the strengths of one, the superiorities of one can fill in the weaknesses and the inferiorities of the other. Beloved, that's the way God wants it to be and that's the way He created it. So husbands and wives, every day of your lives, picture in your minds your relationship to each other as Augustine. Described it 15 centuries ago. For those of you who know this quote, I'm going to take a little liberty with his words. But he did say something like this. When God created Eve from Adam, he did not take a bone from Adam's head to form Eve so that she could lord it over him and manipulate him and him peck her husband. Nor did he take a bone from Adam's foot to create Eve so that she could be trampled on treated as a doormat, abused and dictated by her husband. God made Eve from a rib, taken from Adam's side, under his arm, to be protected by her husband and near his heart to be loved by him. Show each other that you picture your marriage just like that. Wives, continually reassure your husbands in words and actions that there's no other place in all of the world that you would rather be than under his arm and near his heart. Husbands, continually reassure your wives that your life would be empty and joyless without her under your arm and near your heart. And that she really and truly is bone of your bones and flesh of your flesh, and that you are less than a man without her by your side. Men, think of your wives as tenderly as Martin Luther thought of his wife, Catherine, whose pet name for her was Kitty, my rib.
1: Eight six six five six zero seven is our phone number, 408 You're also welcome to visit our website. Drop us an email when you do, reformedheritage.org. Real simple, reformedheritage.org. A lot of information there about who we are. We would invite you again to stop by, reformedheritage.org. Or if you're writing to us, the address is PMB, Post Mailbox, four 402- zero two.